1 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, last week you were blessed with Pastor Edwin, and I'm so glad that he was able to come and bring the Word of God to bear upon your hearts and your souls, and wonderful brother, isn't he? He's a good, good guy, and uh, so thankful that we got to host him here and pray for him. He's still here up in, I think, Pleasanton, and so uh, he's... Uh, continuing to minister the Word of God while he's here. But uh, we want to focus our hearts this morning on God's Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 16, or verses 6 to 16. We looked at the first uh, several verses of this passage up to about verse 9, the last time uh, we were together. And so I just want to read it in its entirety so that we have it in context. So we'll be reading, um, I'll just read chapter 2, how's that? Of First Corinthians, and when I, and I, when I came to you, brothers, Paul writes, did not proclaim, uh, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit. And of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received this, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. For the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Last time we were together, we looked at the spiritual nature of the gospel, kind of part one, and we looked all the way down to verse nine, I believe. And uh, just in review, we looked at those who are inspired by true wisdom, verses six and seven, and we looked at the sphere of this true wisdom. It's, it's among those who know Christ. When he refers to the spiritual, the mature person here, he's not talking about, uh, or when he refers to the mature person there in verse 6, he's not referring to spiritually mature. He's referring to those who know Christ. 
And we proved that out in the last sermon, so you can get that if you have a question about that. But he's not talking about different levels of spiritual maturity. He's saying those who know Christ and those who don't. He's referring to the mature as those who know Christ. They've had a transformative uh, uh, experience with the Lord. He's changed their life. He's forgiven them. They're a new person in Christ. That's who he's referring to as the mature. And then he talks about the men of the, the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, those who are outside of Christ, those who do not know Christ. And so we saw the sphere of the true wisdom. It's for those who are believers in Christ. The source of true wisdom, he says, we impart the wisdom of God. And that is so important to understand the difference between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. And it's not to say that the wisdom of man is, is hopeless. It is in relationship to salvation. But I'm taking my Honda in on Monday tomorrow to have it looked at because there's a sound coming from it. I was, can't figure out what it is. Well, I'm taking it to a mechanic. Why? Because he has wisdom in how to fix cars. He's not even a believer, I don't think. But he's done me well. He's a good, fair guy, and he knows what he's doing. So I'm going to take my car to him knowing that he has the wisdom to fix it. So we're not putting down all wisdom of this world because there's even men, women in this building who have a lot of wisdom in secular things. Your job is a secular arena and you have to have wisdom to do your job. And sometimes we even come to you for wisdom on certain things because we don't know uh, maybe what that is, whether it be technology or whatever. But those kind of things have nothing to do with spirituality. And whenever you try to mix the wisdom of this age with spiritual things, it always messes things up. It seems like the spiritual end of things always takes the hit. You know, sometimes you have counselors and, and they want to embrace worldly wisdom when it comes to counseling. So they'll entertain Freud and all those people and they'll try to apply that to you as a Christian. Um, now, it's not that you can't learn some things from those things, but as a Christian, our sole source of wisdom when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to life and godliness, should be from what? Should be from God's Word. Should be from God's Spirit. And that's why he says here, we impart wisdom, but it's the wisdom of God. It's not the wisdom of men. And then in verse 7, he continues. He talks about this wisdom being a secret. He says there's a secret regarding true wisdom, spiritual wisdom. He says we impart a secret and hidden wisdom from God. It's not known to everybody. It kind of makes you feel special. I mean, you know something that a lot of people don't know. Because God has opened your spiritual eyes to see spiritual things. And if you doubt me on that, just think back before you were a Christian. When you heard the gospel, you probably said, whatever, I don't need to hear this. It wasn't important to you. But when God opened your eyes, it became the most important message ever. And you cling to it the rest of your entire life. And then we said the scope of true wisdom, it's for our glory. Isn't that incredible that God is doing something for our glory? I mean, we glorify God all the time, but here he's saying, no, I, this is for your glory. And so we looked at those who are inspired by true wisdom in verses 6 to 7, and then we looked in verse 8 at those who are insensitive to true wisdom, the rulers of this age, the unbelievers, the people who think the gospel is mere folly. And so today 
we want to catch up where we left off, and we want to look at the incompleteness of man's vision. Why is it that the natural man looks at the things of God that we know to be true, and they consider it folly? Why aren't they interested? Why aren't they interested in the truth? Well, there's a couple reasons here, and we see this beginning in verse 9. He says in in verse uh, 9 there, but as it is written, now this is out of Isaiah, this is why he's quoting this, he's kind of bringing in the big guns, he's saying, hey, you know, as the Apostle Paul, I'm going to bring in some big guns here, I'll, I'll quote the prophet Isaiah, and he says, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. This is the incompleteness of man's viewpoint. See, the problem, the real problem that we have is that we have a vastly different point of view than God's point of view. Think about it. We look at the outward, don't we? What does God look at? He looks at the inward. We value popularity, if we're honest. What's God value? God values character. We look at intelligence and we say, wow, that guy's so smart, wow. Well, what's God look at? God looks at the heart. We honor those with money. God honors those with integrity. We talk about what we own. God talks about what we give away. We boast about whom we've known. You know, we've all done that. I remember one time my wife was in the gym and when we first moved here, powerhouse gym, and she came back and she said, I can't believe it. There was a man next to me on the treadmill and he was trying to talk to me and I just ignored him. And, and then when I was leaving, one of the, the people that worked there said, oh, I see that you were exercising next to Jerry Rice. And she's like, who's Jerry Rice? She had no idea. And she's telling, I go, did you get his autograph? She goes, I don't know who he is, no. I was ignoring him. I wouldn't even talk to him. He was nice, but he was just, you know, trying to talk to me. And I didn't want to talk to him. He was a stranger. I'm like, oh, my goodness. It's Jerry Rice. So I always tell that story. My wife was close to Jerry Rice. I saw him going into Target one time with his kids, but that's about as close as I ever got. But we boast about those things, people we know. We like to let people know that. Um, But God notices not whom we know, but whom we serve. We list our accomplishments, but God looks for a contrite heart. We value education. God values wisdom. We love size. God notices quality. We live for fame. God searches for humility. Our view is shallow when you really think about it. God's view is very deep. Our view is temporary, but God's view is eternal. See, there's an incompleteness to our vision, just naturally. Because sin has so blinded man to spiritual and eternal truths that only God, acting sovereignly and acting by his saving grace, can open our blind eyes and quicken our dead spirits to finally see the truth of God, to understand, to comprehend the gospel, to be transformed. And so Paul begins here, and his, his epistle by showing that before God's secrets can be revealed, we really need some form of 
inspiration because we're naturally ignorant of divine things. Look at what he says. The, the head of the, of the human is completely unenlightened. This is what he says in verse 9. He says, you can't see, you can't hear. <laughs> your eye is incapacitated. Your ears are incapacitated. And then he goes down a little further and he says, even your heart is unenlightened. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart of man has imagined. See, you have to be able to recognize that true wisdom is not humanly discovered. You're not just going to wake up one day and say, oh, I finally get the gospel, I figured it out. It's not going to happen that way. God has to quicken your heart. Both the head and the heart of the unregenerate person are uh, involved in trying to work things out, but they can't. Man's spiritual blindness is totally blind. They, there's, there's not a bit of light that's breaking through there. Now, he introduces his statement back, referring back, as I said, to Isaiah in the Old Testament. And a lot of people take this out of context. They think that somehow this is referring to all oh, that's going to await us in heaven. And I guess you could loosely apply it that way, but that's not what, really what he's talking about here. What's he talking about in the context? What's he been talking about? He's talking about wisdom. He's talking about earthly wisdom, and he's talking about godly wisdom. And so what this refers to, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. What he's referring to here, he's referring to not, not heaven, but the wisdom of God. That's really what he's referring to. The wisdom of God who has prepared us as believers to do what God has called us to do. His point is, is simply this. Your eyes, your ears, naturally, even your heart cannot know. It can't even begin to comprehend the wisdom of God. That's how far and above God's ways are from ours. It's prepared only for those who, what, love him, who know him. Uh, neither externally nor internally, objectively or subjectively. Any way you cut it, man cannot discover God. Sometimes I run into people and they'll say, well, I'm on a spiritual journey. Okay, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm trying to discover you know, God or I'm trying to, well, look, God doesn't need discovering. I mean, it, that's not the way it works. You're spinning, it's like spinning your, your tires in the mud. When I was back in Pennsylvania, I, I did a really stupid thing. I hadn't been back there for years, so we have a long driveway. At the top of the driveway, we have a lawn, and then we have the driveway, and they were bringing a big dumpster in, and so I had to move my car out of the way. So I thought, well, everybody else's cars, I'll just go up to the top of the driveway and just kind of pull off a little bit onto the lawn. Well, in the wintertime, in the, or in the morning time when I did this, you know, it was 10 degrees or whatever, so it was frozen. wasn't a problem. A little Toyota Camry I rented, low, you know, one of those low air things on the front to the ground, so it was, you know, only this far over the ground. So I pulled over slightly on the grass. Well, about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I had to move the car again because the dumpster guy came and went, and so I could move the car. I went out, got in the car, started it up, 
front wheel drive, right? Turned my wheel, started to go. All of a sudden, the whole car just went. <laughs> Not down a bank. It was just slightly a bank. But the mud, it had warmed up enough to where the front wheel. And I'm, I'm like, what in the world's going on? So I backed up a little bit, and it just started getting worse and worse. And I thought, okay, I need to stop. You know, I learned my lesson. I had to call AAA, and the guys, you know, you from around here? It's like, you know, it's just, you know, even my nephew said, why would you, do, uh, haven't been back here in a long time, you know, I forgot, the, the ground thaws, and it gets muddy, and, but I got the car out and everything, but, you know, there was no, there was no uh, way there that, that I kind of, I don't even know why I told you that story, to be honest with you, this, this kind of went over my head, but... <laughs> It, it, it's, it's like sometimes you just get stuck in stuff, and the only way you're going to get out is with some help. You're not going to figure it out on your own, all right? And so here, what, what God is, is telling us, what Paul is telling us, is that, you know what? Your eyes, naturally, your ears, even your hearts, you cannot begin to even comprehend what God has for you in his wisdom. God's truth is not observable by the eye or the ear naturally, no matter how sophisticated instruments you may use to look at it. We're so helpless in trying to discover his truth subjectively through our minds, through our hearts. We need his assistance. Um, You can't rationalize your way into God's truth. You know, I think man's two greatest human resources are really our observation and our reason. But you know what? They're useless when it comes to God's spiritual, divine truth. They will always, in fact, usually they do, they don't turn men to God's truth, they turn men what? Against. That's what Paul's saying. That's why they crucified the Lord of glory, because they didn't comprehend the truth. Ultimately, that's what happened. They, they crucified Christ. But God's truth, God's plan, God's wisdom is not something that he hides from us. Matter of fact, he says right there in the text, all that God has prepared for those who love him. See, when you know Christ, when you have the mind of Christ, when you are transformed by his saving power, you are a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And he's drawing a distinction here between things that can be discovered by the human process, by reasoning, and things that can be known only as a result of divine revelation. Man has truly extraordinary intellectual powers, if you think about it. I mean, we can think, be talking about one thing and shift just like that and start talking about something else. Some of you are very good at multitasking. You, know, you can have five different conversations going on at the same time. And what's surprising is you actually make sense in all the conversations. You know, you don't lose track of who's saying what. Um, we have incredible uh, processing skills in our brains. I mean, think of what we've explored. Think of just what humans have. I mean, they get down to the atom. And they learn about all that stuff. Geophysics, all, all that crazy knowledge that's there. The mysteries of space. We've split the atom. We've explored genetic structure of living things. We've even put men on the moon. I mean, there seems nothing man cannot do when it comes to science, technology, and engineering. It's amazing. 
But God is not to be discovered by gazing into a microscope or a telescope. That's not how you're going to discover God. You can plainly see his fingerprints everywhere in creation. Amen? But we can never know him. We can never know his heart, his mind, his will, apart from divine revelation. That's why we should cherish the word of God, because this book, the word of God, is divine revelation. See, the great truths revealed in the Bible never could have been thought out of the mind of God. It's not like Paul sat down and said, yeah, I think I'm going to write the Corinthians a letter. Yeah, okay, let's see. It just starts writing. No, these are the words of God. And it's incredible that he uses Paul's personality. He uses even Paul's vocabulary to record the very words of God down for us. And so we're not only ignorant of divine things, we're notably ignorant of divine things as well. Um, you know, we're, we're naturally ignorant, we're notably ignorant. We, we just, we can't comprehend these things. Uh, we cannot even begin to imagine what God has in store for us through his wisdom. I remember when I was young, my sister would um, leave and go back to her teaching job in New York State about two and a half hours away. And I remember looking out the window and watching her drive down the driveway And before we'd always have a conversation. And, and she'd say, look, I want you to be good while I'm gone, all this stuff, because I was living with my brother and sister-in-law. And um, she says, if you're good, when I come back, I'll bring you something. I remember her saying that. Um, and as any other kid, you know, I always wanted to know, what are you going to bring me? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's going to dictate how good I'm going to be. You know, I mean, that's pretty smart. Um, and my sister would always respond with the same response no matter what. She would say, you'll have to wait and see. <laughs> and I thought, oh, come on. No hints, nothing, nope. We should be so much like that to know what we are going to do in all of eternity. Stop and think about it. We're not talking about a week. We're not talking about 10. We're talking about eternity. We're going to be with our Lord and Savior in a new heaven. It's not even going to be the heaven that exists. It's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. He's going to recreate it just for us. And even those eyes who have been opened, even those ears who have been opened, even those hearts that have been opened through the gospel of Christ, through the new birth, we still can't comprehend it. Blows our minds. It's just like the disciples when they were with Christ. They couldn't comprehend when the Lord would talk about certain things. When he talked about going to the cross, they didn't understand what he was talking about. When he talked about Pentecost, all these, they didn't understand. They couldn't comprehend it. But we can be sure of one thing. We have a God of omniscient genius. A God of omnipotent power. Amen? He'll never run out of ideas for making that eternal abode with him an exciting place to be. You know, I don't think we're going to be, you know, uh, relaxing with the angels on the clouds or something. I mean, I, we're going to be doing work in heaven. You know that, right? I mean, that's, that's going to be part of the thing. We're going to have tasks to do. But it, it's, it's not going to be the kind of work that we do down here. It's going to be much more rewarding. And so... We see here that this, this wisdom is not humanly discovered. And he tells us in verse, um, uh, verse 10 there 
These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. All right, before God's secrets can be revealed, we have to understand a couple things. We have to understand that revelation of God is necessary. Revelation from God is necessary to discern spiritual truth. This isn't a book you're just going to pick up and read it like a novel. I mean, you can, but it's not really going to have any effect on you. Um, The revelation of God is necessary. And Paul emphasizes this here in verse 10. He really says, these things God has revealed to us through what? Through his spirit. He revealed them to us, to believers. He didn't reveal them to the rulers of the age. He revealed them to us, those who have committed their lives to Christ. He's given us a grand and glorious glimpse of those things. And it's in the Bible, by the way. And it's in the Bible alone. Um, We believe that this book, in its entirety, is complete in God's revelation to us. I don't wake up in the morning saying, God, please give me a new revelation. I want something fresh. You hear people say this all the time. And I say, well, if he did, then I would have to begin writing the book of Stephanus, and we'll put it right after Revelation, because it would be on an equal plane with the Word of God. If God was in the process of giving us divine revelation today, it should be included in the Scriptures. See, we have to be careful when we say that God speaks to us or, or God has revealed to us or whatever. If it's not coming from His Word, I have a big red flag. Now, God can use His, his Word as you've committed Him to memory in your heart. He can, he can use, the, the Holy Spirit can use that to lead you and guide you. I believe that. But it's not new revelation. I get really worried when I hear a pastor say, God showed, showed me something I've brand new. Nobody's ever seen this before. This is a, a truth that God has revealed to me. And you say, wow, really, pal? I mean, you really think you got that kind of thing going on there? See, God's word is revealed to us within the confines of Scripture. And we have all the reliable information we need concerning life, concerning death, concerning what lies beyond the grave, for the saint and the sinner alike, by the way. The Holy Spirit's told us what we need to know. He tells us about creation. He tells us about the fall of man. He tells us about salvation. He tells us about sanctification. He tells us about how we should serve him. He tells us about the life to come. He tells us everything. I mean, there's a lot of philosophies. There's a lot of wisdom of this world. There's a lot of theories of men, you might say, that take a lot of wild guesses. And I'm saying, why, do we, why would you want to guess when God's word has revealed it to us? I mean, just think about the beginning of, 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 of how everything came about. I mean, you have so many different theories I mean, I just read the Bible and say, well, it's pretty simple to me. God spoke and that was it. Six days, rested, okay, I get it. And some people say, well, you really believe that? Yes. It it makes a lot more sense than believing some primordial soup kind of slivered up onto the shore and then sprouted wings and then eventually turned into a man. I mean, how ridiculous is that? But this is what people are teaching people. 
And they're calling it education. They're calling it science. I mean, many of the Eastern religions are based on the theory of reincarnation. Think about that one. The notion that you live over and over and over again. And what you do in this life determines what will be in your next life. You know, whether you come back as Steve the Conqueror or Steve the Cockroach. Depends on what you do. I mean, that's really what they believe. Atheists, on the other hand, they're always arguing from the ills and the injustices of this life as life is perceived by them as if they have some corner on the truth. And so then they just declare, well, there's no God at all. Well, who told you that? Where did you come up with that? I was reading about the old Viking seafarers when they went roaring into battle They were confident that if they died in war, they would feast in the halls of Ahala. That's what they thought. Muslims believe much of the same today, only their heaven is a lot more sensuous than the Vikings. The great goal of Buddhism is basically extinction. I mean, the ways and means men have conceived for achieving the unachievable, when you stop and really wonder about this, are as many and as varied as the goals themselves. Think about it. You've got prayers. You've got penances. You have rules. You have rituals. You have feasts. You have fasts. You have sufferings. You have sacrifices. You have flames. You have flagellations. You have all these things. And the common theme, the common thread through all those religions and how they teach you to... to to better yourself spiritually, is salvation by what? By works. It depends on what you do. It depends on your human merit. It depends on your effort. If you just try harder. That's human reasoning. And that's in the complete opposite of what the Bible says. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We, we, I quoted that verse earlier. For by grace you are saved. What? Through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. Why? Lest anyone should boast. So we have to remind ourselves here the source of this divine revelation is not from man, it's from God. And the scope of this divine revelation there in in, in verse 10, he points out, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Searches, that word search, it's used of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ searching men's hearts in Romans 8.27 or even in Revelation 2.23, same word. It's used of the Old Testament prophets who diligently searched out their own divinely inspired writings concerning truth revealed to them about Christ. 1 Peter 1.11. Or even when the Lord told the Jews in John chapter 5, verse 39, to search the Scriptures. That's the word. The Gnostics seized on that expression, the deep things of God. The Gnostics, they used it as a justification for their own heresies. And uh, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 24, it even warns us of the depths or the deep things of, not God, but of Satan. 
So we have to be careful. There are indeed unfathomable depths in the Word of God. I mean, here, has anyone here mastered the Bible? Totally mastered it. Oh, yeah, I know everything. Know every verse, know every little nuance. You can't. Why? Because it's a supernatural book. It's a supernatural book. It's not the words of men. Even David in Psalm 139 proclaimed, God's knowledge, God's omniscience is what? It's too wonderful for me. I can't even comprehend it. It's mind-blowing is the idea. Or in Romans 11.33, even the Apostle Paul said, Oh, the depths of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. He said, wow, you know what? You can't even begin to comprehend how God does some things or why he does some things. That's why as believers we have to be careful when things happen in our lives and maybe we don't like. And we begin to pout and we begin to mutter and we begin to say, well, God, why, you know, why, why did this have to happen to me? I mean, my answer is always the same. I don't know, but it did, and God knows best. So just deal with it. Cling to his grace. Ask him for the, the, the grace to get through the situation. Ask him for the power, the peace, the grace, whatever it, it needs to get through it, because God allowed it in your life for a purpose, for a reason. It's the Spirit of God who opens us up to the deep things of God. You're not going to get there by your own intellect. You're not going to get there by learning Greek and Hebrew. You're going to get there by the Spirit of God because it says he searches them. And the idea there is not that he's investigating, that he's trying to acquire knowledge. The Holy Spirit can't acquire any knowledge because he's God. (laughs) He knows everything there is. He's the author of all revealed truth. He penetrates the depths of the Scripture and he makes those depths clear to those who are reverently, patiently, humbly studying, exploring their Bibles. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why women have Bible studies. That's why men have Bible studies. That's why whenever we gather together, somebody opens up the Bible, hopefully, and expounds the Scripture to us. Why? Because therein is the words of truth, the words of life. I mean, when you really begin to study devoutly the Word of God, I mean, I'm just amazed because you can't master it. You can't get to the end of the book. It's not like, you know, okay, where's the cliff notes? (laughs) You know, it doesn't work that way. I mean, think of the books of the Bible that you've read through multiple times. And when you do it prayerfully, maybe for the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time, you don't, you don't read it, and you're not reading it going, oh, this is boring, I already read this. No, what does God do? Through his Spirit, he opens up new, new avenues of truth to you, new depths. And it's exciting because it's, it's an endless mine of, of, of the wealth, of the wisdom of God. And he makes it clear to us through his Spirit. The Bible, the Word of God, is the infinite and an eternal wisdom of God to us. Now, he uses a comparison here in verse 11. Um, in verse 11, he says, For who knows a person's thoughts except 
the spirit of that person. This is a very simplistic illustration Paul is using. What's he saying? He's like, who knows what's in your heart? Have you ever heard somebody say, oh, that guy's got a good heart? It's like, how do you know? I mean, look at the person next to you. I mean, he could be thinking the nastiest thing about you right now, or she could be, <laughs> and you would never know it. Never. Yeah, they smile like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't know what's going on in their noggin. You don't know what's going on in their heart. See, but on the other side, that's why we should never question people's motives. Why? Because I don't know their motives, but we do it all the time. We do it. Well, I know why they did that. <laughs> no, you don't. Maybe somebody blesses you with something and you, in your heart you're thinking, hey, what do they want? Maybe they don't want anything. Maybe they just want to bless you. See, it works both ways. And see, what he says here is only you know what you're thinking right now. Whether you're thinking of what you're going to eat, what game you're going to watch, how long is this guy going to talk up there, you know, what happens after this, what's the food over there. I mean, I don't know what you're thinking about, but you don't know what I'm thinking about either. <laughs> I could be up here going, oh, that guy doesn't look interested. You know, he's got one eye open, one eye closed. I'll have to talk to him later. You don't know what's going on in my heart. See, it works both ways. What the human spirit knows, it just knows about itself. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. But then he says this, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What is he saying? He's saying, don't even try to figure out God. Don't even, when things happen in your life, don't sit down and try to calculate, why did this happen this way? What? I don't know, but it did. And if you're a child of God, it didn't happen by mistake. God has a purpose. God has a plan. So he, he says the simple comparison is what the human spirit knows and what the Holy Spirit knows. He compares what the human spirit knows to what the Holy Spirit knows. Man's innermost thoughts can only be known by that person. And God's thoughts can only be known by God himself or the Spirit of God. Now, how do people know what's our motives? How do people get a better reading of our motives or what's maybe what we're thinking? Well, when we put our, our thoughts into words, Right? then you better understand what that per, where that person's coming from. That's why communication is such an important element of our lives. If you don't communicate, what happens? People don't know what's going on in your head. You know, if I give you a gift and you just stand there, you don't say thank you, nothing comes out of your mouth. I'm like, oh, man, they hate the gift, they like the gift, what's going on here? This is kind of awkward, Right? But if you communicate to me, oh, you bought me one of these? I already got five of these here. <laughs> well, then I know that was a bad gift. But if you say, wow, I've never seen this before. Thank you so much. Then I know you're grateful. See, I'm, I'm not going to know that unless you communicate it. And that's why communication is such an important part of our lives. And that's why God had to communicate to us through the written word of God. Because we could never comprehend his thoughts apart from it. That's what inspiration is. That's what God's revealing him, his word to us is. And so in verse 12 here, he basically brings up a, a new concept for a lot of folks. 
He says, now we have received not the spirit of the world. In other words, we don't, we're not interested in the wisdom of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Now, this is Paul talking about himself. Okay, he's not even talking about necessarily other Christians. He's saying we as apostles have received this directly from God. You know, there's some people today that believe that um, the apostolic order continues, that God is still raising up apostles today in the, in the New Testament sense of the word. As a church, we would not agree with that. We would believe that, you know what, it ended basically with Paul. <laughs> and they were given some supernatural, miraculous powers. They were given some divine enablements that confirmed their apostleship. Now, we're apostles in the sense that we're sent into the world, but not in the sense of the Twelve and Paul. And so they, they received supernatural divine revelation from God to the point where they recorded it. They wrote it down. The very words of God. And see, that was a brand new kind of concept that this Holy Spirit would come and dwell within you and enable you to do such a thing. That never happened before. And so this is where the inspiration of God is necessary. He says, now we have received not from the spirit of the world, but from the spirit who is from God, that we might, what? Understand the things freely given us by God. It's, it's God's enablement, this spirit that he's given us. And it enlightens us in a new way when we're tuned into what's going on here with the spirit. And this is Paul speaking about his personal experience here. But there's not just a, this, this new conception here. He says in verse 13, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. In other words, what I'm telling you, Corinth, is not from me. This is not my advice. This is not Paul's top ten how to have a better church. This is directly from the mind and heart of God himself. And this is the process that we call, what? Inspiration. This is God inspiring Paul to literally record his word for us. Because if it wasn't recorded this way, it could never, Paul could never have just sat down and just naturally said, yeah, I'm going to just write the book of Corinthians. Never would have happened. God's truth can be revealed because it is freely given. The spirit who is from God, not the spirit of the world, he says, but the spirit that is from God, not human wisdom, but divinely discerned wisdom, has brought us the word of God. You know, when I look at this table over here, these tables with all these Bibles that Dave so graciously has organized and put together for us, and you think of all the men who stood their ground gave up their lives for this book. I mean, that should speak volumes to your heart about the importance of God's revealed world to us, word to us, and how, you know what, we all have maybe multiple Bibles, and yet we take it so for granted. We just take it for granted. I mean, we should definitely 
prioritize our lives around the study and the reading of Scripture. Um, the Bible is God's, is, is really the Spirit's vehicle for bringing God's revelation to us. This is His Word to us. It's like a letter. You know, I was digging through some stuff in my closet the other day, and I found a letter from my brother John, who was a dentist who uh, passed away unexpectedly over in Germany. And it was the last letter he ever wrote. And I, and I read it, and I thought, wow, this, he had all these doodles in there. Oh, you've got to send me this instrument. You know, it looks like this. It was just kind of crazy. And I'm thinking, wow, I remember getting this letter like four days after his funeral because my family thought it would upset me to get it before. And, and I remember reading it thinking, wow, he's, he's dead, but he wrote. It, it means a lot to me, that letter. It's just a piece of paper with some ink on it. It wouldn't mean anything to you, but why? Because I know who wrote it. And I know the situation he wrote it under. See, this is, this is God's word to us. This, as believers, we should be willing to move heaven and earth to spend time in his word. Um, so God's word is, is for all believers. But when you look at these we's and us here in verses 12 and 13, he's not referring to Christians in general. He's referring to himself and the apostles. That's kind of what he's referring to. I mean, God's word is for everybody as far as believers go, but it was revealed only to the apostles and the other writers of Scripture. And only those men properly can be said to have been inspired in writing Scripture. In John 14, John says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, we apply that loosely to us as believers, but who was that written to? It was written to who? The apostles. He's saying, hey, this Holy Spirit is going to teach you, it's going to bring everything to your remembrance. Did you ever read through the Gospels? I mean, think of all the stuff that's written there in those Gospels. I mean, I don't think John was taking a pad along, going, oh, I better write this down, oh, I better write this down. That came later. Well, how did he do that? How did he remember all this stuff? It was not through his intellect. It wasn't through his ability to recall his time with Jesus. Oh, yeah, this happened then. No. How did it happen? It happened through the Spirit of God. He was enabled by the Spirit of God. So we have received that we might know, we've received the Scriptures that we might know God himself. Um, The Spirit used words that the human writers knew and used. Each one is different. That's why the Gospels are different, because they're different personalities. But he selected them, and he arranged them precisely in the order that he wanted. John MacArthur says this, The Bible, therefore, not only is God's word, but God's words. It's not just God's word, but it's God's words, plural. It's not simply the the word behind the words that is from God, as many liberal people believe. But we believe, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God. That means literally breathed out by the breath of God. So you have to have that as part of this process, the inspiration, it's necessary. You have this 
person of the Holy Spirit that we receive. He says there in, in verse 12 that we've received him. It's something that's come from outside of ourselves. It's not something we worked up on our own. You cannot understand the Bible apart from diligent study, from using sound hermeneutics, principles of interpretation, and waiting upon God to cast light upon the sacred page of Scripture. It's a process. It takes time. That's why sometimes when we have these devotional books, you know, it's like, oh, it's just, you know, two-minute devotion or whatever, or one-minute devotion. And you just read a verse and you go on with your day. Well, that's not how it's meant to be read. We're meant to spend some time in the Word of God. If it's just one verse, then read it over and ask God, what do you want me to get out of this? Um, that's what the Bereans did. It says they, they spent time in the Word of God. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica, Acts 17 says, and they received the Word with what? All readiness of mind. What does that mean? That means they're not up till 1, 2, 3 in the morning, Saturday night, before they come and sit under the teaching of the Word of God. Why? Because your mind's not going to be ready to receive the things of God. I don't care who you are. You need to get a proper night's rest. You need to prepare your mind. You prepare your heart on Sunday mornings. Why? Because someone's going to be standing up behind this pulpit, me or someone else, expounding the Word of God to you. And you want to be alert. It'd be like going to work your first day when they're going to give you orientation. And you, you, know, you stay up till 3 in the morning. And you pull in and you're sleeping. You know, you're not going to understand anything about your job or whatever. Why? Because they're, they're giving you crucial information. That's the spirit in which we should receive as Christians the teaching and the Word of God. And so this, this Holy Spirit is this enabler. He, he enables us to understand, and he also gives us enlightenment. Verse 13, quickly here, he says, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. In other words, Paul's saying, the things that I'm teaching are not even coming from me. That's how deep this is. We speak things that are freely given to us by God, and we freely give them to you, but they're not in in words that are, are man's wisdom. The Spirit needs to discern these things. They're comprehended with the Spirit's enablement. He says, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Once again, who's he talking about? He's talking about Christians. He's talking about people who have a relationship with the Lord. And that's the important thing here because the natural condition, we need illumination. We need the aspect of God shedding light upon this because we're not going to be able to discern it in our own natural fallen state. And that's what he says there in verse 14. He says, you know, if you're not spiritual, the natural man, that's the, 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 the person who's not spiritual, the person who's not saved, the natural person, what's it say? Does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So we shouldn't be surprised when we go out and we witness to those who are lost and they, you know, count it as folly what we're trying to share with them, the Word of God. They're, they're spiritually blind. That doesn't mean you don't go out and share it. 
It doesn't mean you don't continue to share it because maybe the fifth time you share it with them, God will turn that supernatural switch on in their heart and in their mind and they'll finally conceive and understand the gospel. And they'll be changed. And they'll be born again. And then they'll say, wow, what was I thinking? Why didn't I do this sooner? Because you couldn't. It's something that's enabled by God. Now, I think what's, what's important here in verse 14 is that he says they are folly. They don't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to them, to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. You know, everything that we bring to the table as a teacher of the Word of God is not original with us. It's, it's the Spirit of God working through any teacher, any pastor, any preacher, any Sunday school teacher, whatever. Be very careful to, oh, I, I discovered this new whatever. I came up with this great new truth. Or, don't go there. That's a very dangerous ground. Because if it didn't come from God, I, frankly, I don't want to hear it, when it comes to spiritual things at least. Um, so he says the natural man doesn't receive these things. But I think that the only way you come to Christ, the only way you're born again is if God saves you, if God convicts you of your sin, drives you to your knees, and causes that pride in your heart to be broken through and to be filled with humility. And that changes everything as a believer. Because then when you're a believer and you you come to Christ and you're truly saved and you understand what God has done for you, and then somebody in the body of Christ offends you, and then you read the verse, well, you're called to forgive that person. Well, I'm not going to forgive them. They really hurt me. Who are you to say? What did God do for you? Hello? You're going to hold a grudge against somebody else? I don't think so. That doesn't fly in the face of God's word. See, it depends on your, pers- your perspective. I mean, who are we to not forgive others when we have been forgiven so great? And Paul illustrates that, that, that quote there. I mean, who can know the mind of God? I mean, do you really think you could understand God? Even a little bit? I don't care how smart you are. You're not going to be able to. I mean, sometimes, you know, you go to these conferences and you hear these really brainiac people talk about theology. And it's like they're talking, and they're all talking, and they all make sense. But, you know, they don't all agree. So somebody's got to be wrong. (laughs) But they're really, really smart people. And I'm thinking, wow, even they can't figure it out. I mean, they can't even come down on the, the, the right side of things. That's how far God is above us. And I think that's why he points out here that he's not able to understand the things that are spiritually discerned. The Spirit needs to be in our lives to to give us discernment when it comes to the Word of God. Verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. What's he saying here? All things here pertains to the things of God. 
The spiritual man has spiritual discernment. He judges all things spiritually. Paul was able to shrug off as worthless the, the criticism from certain people that he was receiving from even from the church of Corinth. Remember, they, they didn't all like Paul. Some of them were what? Of, Apoll- of Apollos or Cephas. Or what? They had their little groups. And then you got Paul. Oh, come on. Paul, man, that guy used to persecute the church. You're going to listen to him? Really? Come on. He didn't care. He was able to discern through all that. He was not adverse to self-judgment, to constructive criticism. Because he argued, he said, you know what? I'm answerable to God and God alone. The moment a Christian begins to try to be culturally relevant or be concerned what the culture thinks of their beliefs, you're in a real world of hurt if that's where you begin to go. I don't really care whether I'm culturally relevant or not. What's more important to me is am I being faithful to what the Word of God says? Am I being faithful to what God has called me to do as a believer? That should be your concern as well. And then he says here, in the end, almost in a sense of humor, he says, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? I can think of one person who tried to instruct the Lord when he was with him. Remember that? Didn't end real well for Peter, did it? Get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, Talk about a rebuke. I mean, in all my years of ministry, I don't think anybody's pointed their finger at me and called me Satan, let alone the Lord. Can you imagine the conviction in Peter's heart when those words rolled off Jesus' tongue? But see, he was operating in the wisdom of man, not in the wisdom of God. And so, you see here in the end, he says, you can't instruct the Lord. But then almost in a way of saying, but, listen to this truth. But we have the mind of Christ. What? Wait a minute, you just got done saying, who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? In other words, you're never going to really comprehend all this wisdom God has. But as a believer in Christ... We are somehow tapped into the mind of Christ. That just blows my mind. Literally. I mean, think about it. The mind of Christ? God is such a gracious God to us, beloved. We just need to be reminded of that when we carry our Bibles, when we read our Bibles. That all this truth comes to us by his grace. We're not entitled to it. We're not guaranteed it. It's by his grace. Martin Luther said this, The Bible cannot be understood simply by study or talent. You must count only on the influence of the Holy Spirit. John Calvin wrote, The testimony of the Spirit is superior to reason. For these words will not obtain full credit in the hearts of men until they are sealed by the inward testimony of the Spirit. Someone else said this. It suggested that the best man 
can do on his own, all the best, all that a best man can do on his own is to gnaw the bark of Scripture without getting to the wood. Uh, Without the Spirit of God, we can't even begin to understand what God's Word has for us or means to us, and that's why we are utterly dependent on Him to show us these truths and to reveal Himself to us through His Word. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the Apostle Paul. We thank You for His just willingness, really. Um, He was made willing by You, but his willingness to be obedient in all these things. Lord, we pray for that heart. We pray that we would be willing to cherish your word, that we would understand it's not a a natural book that we can just sit down and memorize and commit to memory, and it won't have any impact if that's the case. It doesn't return void, but if we're doing it outside of the Spirit's enablement, it's not going to have any impact on our lives. And so we pray, the Lord, as we... Hold our Bibles, even today as we leave this place, that we would cherish it. It wouldn't be something we forget in the car till next week or on the bookshelf till next week, but we would, each day of this coming week, that we would wake up in the mornings excited to read a passage of Scripture and see how you're going to apply it to our lives. And not only that, but be able to share the Word of God with those who are around us who have yet to come to know you as their Lord and Savior knowing that it's the truth of the gospel that will convert the human heart. It's not our words, it's your words. Lord, we pray for each heart that's represented here, each family that's represented here. Lord, we pray that, Lord, only you know their hearts. We can't begin to even judge someone else's heart, but you know their hearts. And Lord, you discern all those things. And I pray if there's any here today, any hearts that have yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, to cry out to the Lord, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. I pray, Lord, that you would do that miraculous work even here today. For us believers, I pray that you would confirm our allegiance and our dedication, our love for the Word of God. Lord, that we wouldn't take it for granted, but that we would cherish it, that we would study it, that we would share it with others that we would see many come to know you as a result of you working in their lives. We pray for our fellowship time across the way afterwards. Bless the food of our bodies. Just bless our time of fellowship as well. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.